All right, folks, welcome back to the Sean Fontana podcast. We have another special guest today. He is a Scottish internationalist. He is also a junior Great Britain cross-country representative. He's got PBs of 349 over 1,500, 30 minutes and 8 seconds over the 10K, 49 minutes and 22 seconds over 10 miles, and a sublime 2 hours and 20 minute marathon. Without further ado, I'm going to bring Craig Ruddy into the podcast. Craig, how are you doing? How are you coping with training during COVID-19? All right, Sean, how's it going? Good, good. <clears throat> thanks, for, uh, thanks, thanks for inviting me on. Um, uh, training's, training's been a bit up and down since since the whole COVID-19 situation kind of started. Um, I think just to kind of go what Adam and, and Kenny were talking about, you know, ultimately the main thing is everybody's you know, being safe, sticking to the rules, um, and just getting a bit of training in purely for the kind of health and well-being side of things just now. Um, I think for myself, you know, you'll know you'll know better than anybody after the announcement of London getting postponed. I was pretty pretty gutted. Um, I wanted it to happen in April, um, but yeah, just now, really, it's just a case of getting out more for the mental well-being and general fitness than any sort of particular running goals or competitive goals. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a wee bit challenging getting the motivation back up and going again. Um, I took a couple of weeks where I, I kind of, you know, just trying to get some sort of routine going was, was the kind of challenging part, um, especially when we got back from Portugal at the end of March. So... No, it's starting to come back around again and the, the volume's starting to keep up a bit again. So, aye. And do you, have you completely changed your focus in terms of, you know, I know that you'll have to, you've been doing marathon builds now for quite a while. Um, yep. Have you changed your focus during this part? You know, are you focusing on different aspects of your training just now? I think, um, I think now's a really good time just to, change things a little bit or try try things that you might not normally try um obviously i moved down to to epsom last august mm-hmm. now it's in the heart of surrey so there's tons of forestry tons of trails but when you're training for a marathon you're on the road you want the same the same runs so that you can you know track progress make sure that you're running easy days easy make sure the hard days are hard and What's been quite nice is just getting out, head down, without any real specific goal in mind, and just going exploring the trails locally. So I've found myself getting lost, running back by myself a couple of times, but it's been really nice just to get get out in the kind of forest and stuff nearby. So um, uh, it's been pretty good, pretty good in that sense. I think, like you said, the, the, the focus is no longer competitive goals. It's really just running for the, the love of the the art and the sport itself. Yeah, because I know that you you, you were you were a bit... We, we were both in two different mindsets in Portugal when we heard that the marathon was getting postponed. We, we were in the same place probably, like in terms of fitness-wise, but I think because you, you believe when you're maybe a little bit further further away from the race, that you still believe that you can get a certain marathon shape and you can understand yep. where we are at certain times. Whereas, you know, I was looking for perfection 
and it was going far from perfect for me. Um, so me, I'm happy that it's been postponed. You, you were a bit, you know, sort of gutted because you're looking at that marathon and then you were also looking at targeting a, an, an autumn or sort of into the winter marathon, like a Valencia marathon yeah. as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, as of now, do you feel, if, if you take a bit of perspective on things, like do you feel like where you were in Portugal to having London postponed, giving you this time to sort of recharge your body, your mind, who's been working so hard as well. Not only were you trying to train for a marathon, you're actually, you're actually working full time as well. Um, do you feel that this is going to help you be in a better place come, you know, a, a, a marathon maybe in the winter time if, if, things, if things go well? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm hoping so. I mean, I think, I, I came into the London build this year kind of not in great shape. I hadn't had a great winter of the, you know, not making excuses, but I moved down. I just, running wasn't the priority right away, even though I knew that London was kind of on the cards. So, and going back to previous marathon builds, London was going to be my, I think it was my sixth marathon build or fifth marathon build. Six, yeah. Um, yeah, sixth. So, I mean... It, I've I've come to realise that each marathon build is slightly different from the previous one, and that you're never going to get you know perfection as such. And that's and, and I think that's where I've learned that taking a little bit of a step back and, and analysing a full twelve or thirteen or a fourteen week block, I know that if I can get sixty to seventy percent of that block done, you know, in relatively good shape, then I'll, I'll probably have a good marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that sometimes you're kind of chasing that fitness, but I kind of like that that kind of pressure almost. It's like it's like cram studying for an exam. Yeah. So it's like how 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 much can I squeeze out of myself in the next couple of weeks or next couple of months, knowing that I've not maybe had the best prep. Um, but I think what's going to be useful going forward is maybe just changing things a little bit. Maybe running easy days a bit easier seeing if I can get a bit more volume under the under the belt and, and just building a bigger aerobic base and then seeing if that allows me to cope better with a, a full 12, 13 week block and hit well 70%, hit 90%. You know, so, so I'm kind of trying to take all the positives from it and seeing where that takes us. Yeah. So if we if we sort of like rewind, um, I mean, I did, I did see on your power of 10 that, did you run for Central back before you ran for Inverclyde? No, so so basically, yeah, I, I like I saw that. I know. Uh, so basically, there was there was a point where you want to get as many track races under your belt when you're when you're running during the summer season. So right. the, one of the best ways to do that is running at the league matches. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I think I was maybe under six, under seventeen, maybe under or first year under twenty. Inverclyde didn't have a, a big enough section of men to, to enter the men's league. So I basically joined Central Second Claim. They needed, funnily enough, they needed bodies at that point to, <laughs> to fill their spots. Um, and one of the coaches at Inverclyde was pals with their coaches. So they, they kind of set up that I would I would jump in and fill in when when required. So I think I, I think I ran for Central maybe two or three times. Um, but 
I canned it pretty quickly after that. Because uh, I saw there was a good, on your, on your Power of Ten, there was a good, I don't know, about seven years that it just says central, central, central. And then I'm like, where's this hatred came for wanting to mash them at the, the National Cross? <laughs> no, listen, the, the central boys are, are brilliant guys. Um, you'll, you'll know most of them as well. Um, but, but it's a nice competitive hatred. Um, they've been really dominant, and, and rightly so, because, you know, the group they've got through there, they all work together, train hard, and you know they must set up their their goals for the season. You know, individual goals, but but there's this team goal, and I, and I really like that. And I think that team ethos is something that I'd love that you know my club could have, and other clubs across Scotland could have. And I, you know, they they're setting the standard um, in terms of team events, yeah. and that 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 in turn is only going to you know drive individual performances up. You know, yeah. I'd like to think that Inverclyde had a little bit of a, a kind of saying that at the start. You know, back, God, I can't remember how long ago it was, but we, we kind of won six really races in a row. And, you know, people, people don't like that when one club dominates. Mm-hmm. And that kind of set the ball rolling for other clubs to try and take us down and, and central of, well, they've absolutely dominated in the last 10 years. So... Um, no hats off to them. Uh, no, the you know, and I guess you know, success beats success as well. You know, it all I'm guessing it started as far back as Ali Hay for the Commonwealth Games oh, yeah. in Delhi. You know, and, it just, and even before that, you've got guys like Robert Russell as well. You know, true, aye, true. Top, top national cross country runners. You know, so yeah, I you know, think guys. Yeah, because I get into athletics quite late, so I'm I'm kind of behind the whole. I think Ali Hay was the first person I really saw from Central. Smash uh-huh. and then there was the uh, that John Newsom as well. He was he was a solid cross country runner in his day. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and then the, the likes of your your Butchie and your Crow now are just you know they're following in the footsteps, which is really cool. Um, and then that you know maybe maybe Ali Hay and you know likes of Robert Russell inspired them to get into running. Like that leads me on to a good question of how did you get into running? Was it because you you saw some an athlete and you wanted to emulate that, or you know, was it a hobby at school? And how how did you get? How did you start in the, the whole running scene? It was there's kind kind of a couple of reasons. So I did I did do um, indoor athletics in primary school and I was okay at it, but like most you know boys in Scotland or Britain, you know they want to be footballers, and so I, I played football kind of under under 11s, under 12s, and was pretty rubbish at it, to be honest. And I had a couple of operations, I had a hernia op and I had a knee op in two summers back-to-back. And I decided that I didn't want to go back to football, so that, that wasn't going to happen. So that was that was kind of, you know, first year of um, high school, I decided that football wasn't going to be for me. Mm-hmm. And my dad, I remember at the time saying, you know, no, no problem at all. That's that's fine. You you can quit football, but you're going to pick something else, and you're going to stick at it for at least six months. Right. He said, I don't care what it is, pick something. And it just so happened that the high school that I was at, Janice Hendry, um, was the PE teacher there, mm-hmm. and a couple of my pals in school, and that I hung about with, they they were in Inverclyde. So I decided that I would 
go along there just because there was familiar faces and kind of never really looked back. The, the setup at Inverclyde from a junior perspective, you know, even at that time, you know, in its infancy was, was good, but it's just went from strength to strength, surrounded by really good guys. When I was 17, Mark Pollard then came back from university, so from Greenock, studied in Edinburgh, came back to Greenock. So then just as, you know, that, that, that point where a lot of people drop out, I was starting to get people coming back. Mark then was running with Tommy Murray, and, and that kind of kept me in. And, and it turns out um, Tommy Murray's my mum's cousin. Oh, so wow. I don't know if anybody's heard of Tommy Murray, but Tommy Murray was a you know ridiculously good cross country and Scottish internationalist um, for many years. Um, Is this the guy with the Tommy in the Magic White Gloves, eh? Magic White Gloves. That's my mum. The story goes that Tommy was um, sponsored or was, was kind of on the cusp of getting a sponsorship with Asics and. He said that he was he, he wanted a, a big sponsorship from them, and they said only when you win the national cross. So he he cut out um, A6 logo and stuck it onto his magic white gloves, and then he put his hands up when he crossed the line at this Scottish national cross as the winner with the A6 emblem on his gloves. So they just they just absolutely loved them. So it was great. Grow you know growing up running with Tommy, he used to get you kit and he would drop your stuff and he'd fling your tracks every now and again and uh, so it was good. And then you, not only did you have Mark Pollard, did you then have guys like Kev Kane come in at that time um, and the Irish boys as well, the two the two brothers? Yeah, so we had, I, again, I think I think athletics is a funny one because, you know, I'll, you know, we get a lot of stick in Berkeley for that, bringing in ringers and stuff. But there was always a link back to somebody. So Mark Mark knew Kev pretty well. And Kev, for people that don't know, is he's a bit of a, a character in athletics. And he he actually lived with Mark for a few years. So when he, he came down, he wasn't he, he was living with Mark and he was running with Mark and training and you know, it just made sense that he would run for the club. And it was Kev Kane that then got Andy Douglas to join. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mark knew Dan, Dan, Dan Mulher, the Irish um, internationalist. He he studied in at Napier in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. and he knew Mark. And again, just through those links, you know, he moved back to Glasgow um, for work, having finished uni. And Mark just dropped a light. Do you need a club? Mm-hmm. It was just a case of I will. Why not Inverclyde? Do you know? So it, it was always a link, and then obviously, like yourself, you know, it was the same when, when you joined Inverclyde. It was, you know, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to think there was no real pressure on it, but it was, you know, you were talking about, you know, the club scene and coming back from America and back up from London and all that sort of stuff, and you know, I just, I just asked the question, you know, and tried, tried to dress it up in a, in a, a way that was, you know, at least enticing for you, you know. Um, so yeah, no, I think I think athletics is good for that because we're all quite pretty like-minded, and if there's going to be something that gives you that little extra incentive to get out the door and run mm-hmm. and turn up and, and race, you know, use it use it as much as you can, you know. Yeah, I mean that again. That's how then we move on to you, you know, getting me to the club, 
me getting Adam to the club, Adam Craig. Um, individually, individually, like we have a very, very strong team. Like we do, like when you think, of, when you talk about all the individuals that we have, like, geez, like you just go, we've, we've, got, a, we've got a strong team. I think we just don't have this, we're a strong team made up of strong individuals, whereas mm-hmm. it seems like Central can come together as a team. You know, yeah. they're, they're very, very talented, strong, hardworking individuals, but their team ethic, their team ethos is, a, is just a, maybe a little bit stronger than, you know, some of, some of us Inverclyde boys that were, you know, were wanting to do a marathon at a certain point and we want to, or maybe in different parts of Scotland or different parts of the UK. Um, yep. Whereas those boys are training with each other Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday or whatever, whenever it may be, they're, you know, just get a nice um, sort of hub to like feed off each other. Um, so yeah, like it's, no, you're right. You know, sometimes it's, it's about who you know instead of, you know, jumping into the most dominant club at that moment in time. Yeah. Every, every, every club has its day. So, um, right. I, like, we, we, so before the marathon, you, you, were a, you were a very strong track runner as a junior. You know, all the way up into your under 23 years, you, were, uh, you ran 349 for the 1500. Um, you picked up lots and lots of junior district and national medals, you know, gold, silver, bronze. Um, what, did, you, did you see the future as being the track at that age or did you always plan to move up to the longer distances? Like what was in your mind, even though you're getting success as a 1500 metre runner, you know, what, what made you sort of shift up the longer distances? I think um, when, I, when, I, when I was doing track, the age that I was doing it, there was, there was a, a strong group of, of guys coming through. Um, and a lot of those, a lot of those medals, you know, great achievements. But they might have been, you know, yourself. Some people will maybe choose to do an eight rather than a fifteen that are actually fifteen hundred meter runners. Mm-hmm. So the the guys that I was competing against at that time as a junior were guys like Chris Gosson, Dougie Selman, Mark Mitchell, you know, Derek Hopkins, you know, the guys that are, you know, really. You know, a lot quicker than what I would like to run over things like you know eight and fifteen, um, and it it was something that you know I, I I wanted to be as good as these guys and wanted to be as quick as these guys. I think I probably just maybe the training wasn't quite right at the time, and I don't know. I, I did see myself as being you know I wanted to be a miler. I think I think most I think most guys growing up you know that that's the kind of dream is they want to be you know quick and a good tactician and you know have that finish and all that sort of stuff I probably didn't quite have all those tools um but it, it was something that I did you know I really wanted to chase but come come 2011 2012 I was kind of looking at maybe moving up to 5,000 but it was really just an injury that, that kind of curtailed all that um, in 2012. I'd moved up to the 5,000, thinking there might have been a couple of opportunities there. You know, maybe some British international vests, potentially, if I could get, you know, some of the standards. But um, 
you know, I, I, again, bar an injury, whether I was going to be good enough to, to get to that level, I don't know. But um, I, I think I was in a, an era that was just at the start of, you know, it was starting to kind of grow. You know, the tail end of, of my kind of era was like a Chris O'Hare and then even off the back of him, you know, the number of guys from Scotland that have come through over that, that distance, you know, no chance was I going to be able to compete against those. And, you know, I'm quite happy to say that. I think, you know, you look at the the times that these guys have run, you know, it's incredible. And I think my I think my talents were always going to lie in the, in the longer distances. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to believe that for, for long enough, you know. <laughs> I wanted to hold on I hope that I could be a miler. Um, and you know, I haven't, haven't had conversations with um, Mark Pollard about you know the number of guys that you know want to be quick and fast, but he's like that. Nah, move up, you've you've got better chance and you've got you know better equipment to cope with the longer distances. Um, whereas at that time I was coached by Laurie Spence, who you know as far as a coach goes, you know he had every faith and and my ability, probably more faith than what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we stuck at it and stuck at it and stuck at it, and it just didn't quite pay off um, over those distances. And that was kind of the reason why we started to kind of move up towards the, the kind of longer distances, but also an injury in 2012 um, that kind of forced that change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, come, because obviously the 2014 comedy I said in a previous interview that the standards were set from the previous games mm-hmm. in Delhi with it being so hot and humid and you know the standard just you couldn't run as fast at Delhi in 2010 so it meant that the standards were a little bit softer mm-hmm. so it, it I think what that did was it, it squeezed the guys that were already pretty good at 15 it really Forced them. It forced other guys to come through that were already a bit quick to chase that time. Mm-hmm. And equally, then with things like you know the marathon and the five and the ten, it forced some of the guys that were maybe not quite as good at the fifteen. They kind of looked and thought, "Where's the space? Where's the gaps going to be in this team? Mm-hmm. Um, and what can I chase?" And you know, you'd guys like Ali Hay chasing the fifteen along with Chris McKay and a few others. Um, and then obviously you've got the Crystal Hairs and you know all these guys, and Mark Mitchell as well. I mean, Mark Mitchell, you know, ran extremely close to getting that time. You have the guys like Gosson. Um, so it, there was all of a sudden there was a bit of a buzz around athletics in Scotland because there was all of a sudden a major kind of championship event that was on your doorstep and seemed pretty attainable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that kind of forced my hand to go up. And having just come back from injury, I thought, you know, I was thinking 10,000 um, at that point. Yeah. So that was kind of what forced the change, really. Yeah. And then I, I'm guessing you're talking about, you know, moving up and representing Scotland at the, you know, these international events, these senior international events. But one of your, one of your highlights must be that you represented Team GB as a junior at the Eurocross champs, I mean, how how was that? You know, you know, you're stepping up into the, not you've you've you know been you've competed as now one of the best in Britain. You're now stepping up into competing against against the best in Europe. How was that? How was that experience? Yeah, I mean, that I've got really you know good memories of that 
that that kind of window. There was a kind of that that cross country season. You know, I, I was running really well. The, the goal at the start of the cross country season was to make the team, um, and at that point, I, I was at my second year at university. The the training that was set by Laurie was was really good. The volume had increased a little bit. I think I was doing about seventy miles a week average at that point as a as a nineteen year old, which you know some people might say is a bit much for a nineteen year old, but you know I think that was just what was required. I ran, I ran arguably one of my best races at the Gateshead International two weeks before, um, or three weeks before Liverpool, mm-hmm. and I finished third at Gateshead. So there was a guy called Ross Mellington had won it, and. I can't remember who was second. I think it, I think it was Steelers. I can't I can't remember whoever was second. I just remember finishing that race, finishing third at a you know a British Cross match. Um, phoning Laurie after it and saying, you know that was a brilliant race. I ran it really well and you know I finished third. And obviously the goal was Liverpool at the Cross um, trials to make the team, which is a six-man team and. Um, the first thing Laurie said to me was, you're going to have to beat both of those boys if you want to make that team. <laughs> so I've just ran one of my best races and all of a sudden the expectation is you need to beat both of them to make that team. And my mindset throughout that whole block was was really strange. I, I don't know I don't know what it was, but I was making that team. That there was nothing that was going to stop me from making that team. And it was a really it was a really strange it was really a strange thing. Like I just I'd envisioned what the hotel was going to be like. I knew what the course was going to be. Come the Europeans, turned up on on race day at Liverpool. I did beat both of those boys at Gateshead. Um, but a, a span on the marks was that Conor McNulty, who had come out of the blue that year, mm-hmm. um, ran an absolute storm at Liverpool and just pipped me. So I was actually seventh, right. but he'd obviously had a bit of a run-in with a certain Simon Horsfield and got himself disqualified and that I was automatic to, to go in to the team as the kind of next person. Um but no it was it was it was really good. You know, I, all of a sudden I got I got to see guys that you know you would see on the cover of Athletics Weekly or you would read about and you would see on forums or, or whatever at that time. Guys like Andy Vernon, Keith Gerrard, um all, all these guys and all of a sudden I'm sitting having dinner with them and having breakfast and going for a jog and you, know, you feel like a bit of a, an outsider at first and I think the only thing I would say about that trip was that I was the only I was the only Scottish person I was the only I was the only non-English person on that whole trip and um, because of the controversy that surrounded Connor that was kind of what kind of surrounded the, the conversation directed towards me. It was kind of like, oh, have you heard from Connor? Have you, you know, um, but apart from that, it was good. You know, the guys were the guys were, were really good. You know, um, the guys that were in the team that I was in was, was Lee Carey, um, David Forrester, Ben Lindsay, Mitch Goose, and, and Ross Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, shared the room with Ross. You know, youngest in the team. Funny, funny. Quirky, like really, really good guy, um, and the race itself was just insane. It was just, I, I've never, I've never experienced anything like it. I mean, if you remember running 
if you remember running at the inner counties for the yeah. West and at Nottingham when you run up the hill. It was kind of like that, but quicker and just just more furious. It was it was crazy. Um, no, it was a re- it was a really good event, and and you know it taught me quite a few things. And I think having that belief beforehand that I could make it and and go forward. What I wanted to do was make that team again. I've never managed to do that, unfortunately. But you know, we'll not talk about that too much. Yeah, but you know, there's every dog's going to stay. And then, you know, is an important question is is a you know you've 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 run a lot across through your years, and do you feel that it's essential for a junior or even any athlete to you know get into cross country? Or what's your what's your views on it? Do you feel that it helps boost development? I think I think it does. I think if you if you look at any athlete that you know that's worth their salt, you you'll see that they'll have done they'll have served their time at least a little bit in cross country. There's not many athletes that won't have you know, that won't have competed at cross country. I mean, I think I think the year after I made that Euro cross team, I'm pretty sure Chris O'Hare made the team. Yeah. You know, the year after. So you've got guys that are now achieving really. You know, top level stuff that you no, know, they would they would always say cross country is kind of where you. I don't, I think you you probably learn how to race a little bit more in cross country. You know, there's it's you're not going to run quick all the time. You know, you you can see that even courses like Liverpool, it's pretty flat. But no two years can be the exact same. Sometimes it's snowing, sometimes it's muddy, sometimes it's firm, sometimes it's windy. So the the conditions play you know play a huge part and and that can change the whole outcome of a race. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also just a bit more fun. You know, it's it's not that same kind of grueling lap after lap on the track where you're kind of getting a bit anxious about whether you've hit that split right or you know if you're going too quick or whatever. Cross country, it's just a case of head down, work and and see what you can do. And it's I don't know, there's something quite. Um, quite nice about that, I think, and I think it does. You know, especially as juniors, um, you can see really good progression. I finished second last at my first ever national cross country. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so second last, and then I remember just thinking, I hate, I hate it, um, but. There was something fun about it, the part of the team and all that sort of stuff, and and thinking I can definitely do better than second last. No, it can't. It can't get much worse than that, really. Well, it can, but <laughs> so for me, it was a case of well, how much better can I get with a wee bit of training? And you know, that was my first year doing that when I did that, and then I think I moved up from second last to tenth and you know, under fifteens. Um, so no, cross country definitely serves a massive role, and especially you know, over the winter, it's such a you know, Britain winters last what seemed like forever. So yeah. if you're not competing during that time, it's hard to keep the motivation going. Um, so it it definitely serves a great purpose, and I think the way that the season set up with the cross country really is first, where mm-hmm. it's a bit got a, a bit of mix, um, is is quite nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, definitely, it's fundamental as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, you are right. There's, I mean, a lot of great athletes of, especially for Scotland, have have won that national cross and on to then represent Great Britain 
at senior level um, over world, Olympics, European championships, you name it. It's, so it does seem as if it does serve that purpose to a platform to help you propel off onto the summer season. So then, you know, you're having great success as a junior uh, on the track and then you're, you're moving at a senior level and you do, I mean, you still, you're still having great success at national level over the 1500 and the 5k, you know, you're winning bronze in the 1500 in 2011 nationals, you win silver in 2012 at the 5k and then also you win silver again in the 2013 national. Um, so, you're, you're, I mean, you are, again, on the podium um, at the at the middle distances, but then, you know, later in the year you decide to you know move up to the half marathon uh, later in the year, and then you then look towards your your marathon in uh, Warsaw. So, you know what? Again, probably some. I, I don't know if is this a, a similar thing to the fifteen hundred back as a junior. Like, where you know you you started getting some success at the five k, but then you you know you quickly move to you move on to the the half marathon marathon distances. Yeah, so, I, so in 2012, I had an injury. I had a really good start to the season, but I, I got a hip injury. And it really it boiled down to just, I think, just overtraining, training too hard, not training smart. And what what happened was I was out for about eight months. I managed to kind of get through to about June time in this season, but I'd already ran, you know, a pretty good PB, Scottish Championships. I managed to just about get to. Um, but then I had to... I had to pack the, the season in after that and and then I, I was basically told, you know, just rest and so I took I took a long time off. I think it was about eight months of no running at all and never really got to the bottom of what the injury was exactly. So in that time it I was starting to get a bit, you know, a bit disillusioned by getting back to running competitively. Um and obviously the Commonwealth Games were coming up and you know, I was thinking, you know, that was the goal was to try and at least get close to those times or, you know, even scrape a time and maybe make a team potentially. Um, and basically, when I came back from injury, I was just running. I wasn't, there was no real set goal. And then the more I started to run, the, the quicker the fitness was starting to come back. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, you start competing a little bit. And I think I just, the, the, looking at the, 1500 meters uh, the 5000 meters qualifying time it was just it was just beyond me i think um so we started looking at the 10000 and i think the qualifying time for the 10000 it might have been it was 29 minutes for glasgow it was t- 29 flat i think um uh, 2050 it was it was it was relatively ish it was uh, it was softish. I, th- I think it was 29 minutes because I'm not sure that Callum ran much quicker than that at that point and he ran for Scotland at yeah. um, 2014 for the 10,000. Um, so basically what happened was that I, because I'd missed quite a bit of the you know track season in 2012, late 2012 and then not quite hitting it in the, at the start of 2013 mm-hmm. from a 10,000 point of view, I decided partly from a running point of view, but partly just from a life experience point of view that I wanted to go to Australia. Mm-hmm. So I went out there in December, kind of November, December, to run their 10,000 metre trial. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of when I went out there that I saw a different side to training that I'd never seen before. Um, there was a lot, 
was there was a lot of hard running, but there was a lot of there was a lot more tempo type running, threshold running, longer reps, you know, twelve minute reps and, and things and you know, I actually coped quite well with it. I, and the guys that I was out there training with were running really quick times off this type of training and I kinda of thought well, why why am I not why am I not doing that kind of stuff? So when I came back, the goal was still ten thousand. Um, and but at that point, the training kind of changed a little bit, and I, and I started to kind of dictate the sessions a little bit more with um, the training group, based on some of the stuff that I'd learned when I was in when I was in Australia. Um, so that that kind of lent itself towards it gravitated more towards the longer events than it did towards the shorter events. Mm-hmm. And I think because I could see that I was coping quite well with the longer stuff, I kind of thought maybe the longer stuff might might benefit me more or it might it might pay off more and then that time Stephen Trainer and Mark were were training for marathons and some of the stuff they were doing in the pre-marathon build was quite similar to what I was doing so I would jump in with some of their sessions and then it, it just it just slowly kind of trans transgressed that a lot of the stuff they were doing I was I was quite good at that and, and it tied in with the, the races that I was doing. So I kind of slowly transitioned across from Laurie to, to Mark. Mm-hmm. I was probably training with using Mark's kind of program effectively for about six months before I actually said, look, you may as well coach me because I'm doing all your sessions. The plan's pretty much going along with what, what you're kind of setting. Um, and he said at that point, you're going to do a marathon then? And I was like, nah. I'll do 10Ks and I'll do halves. I'm not doing a marathon. And that was in 2015. And he, I think he just slowly worked on me. And I, you know, I remember watching them doing, or kind of part of their marathon session. There's a 5K loop that they used to do, or they're still doing in Greenock. And um, they would just do like eight, nine laps of that in their marathon sessions. And I was just like, nah, that's not for me. That's not what you no, know, I already gave up, you know, the fifteen, then I gave up the five K and now I'm having to give up ten K. I'm giving up this track kind of ideal that I wanted to kind of chase, this dream of running on the track and I was kind of bludgeoned into kind of thinking actually I'm going to be a roadrunner. You know, and I, I I don't know, I think at the time I kinda of thought that was maybe a bit soft and a bit of a, a way out, but Actually, you know, it's got it's just a whole other entity on its own, you know, aside yeah. from the track, and it's, you know, the the, the training that that has been applied since I've moved up to marathon has it's been really insightful. You know, I've been able to kind of I've been able to actually run quicker over some of the shorter distances off the back of some of the marathon training. Yeah. Um. So that that was kind of the reason it was it was kind of partly forced upon me um, through injury, kind of, and, and then obviously just transitioning across to Mark and learning a few new training methods when I was in Australia. That was kind of the reason that I kind of jumped from five, 5K runner to, to 10K in marathon. And it was a bit of a, a kind of sudden jump, but you know, you know yourself, athletics, your athletics career isn't necessarily going to be the longest serving thing. So you kind of want to maximise your potential at the event that you might be, you know, best at, uh, you know, and that's why I kind of moved up to marathon. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I know that you, you know, you cut your your track sort of pedigree short, but you know, maybe subconsciously you you looked at people like Callum Hawkins and Derek Hawkins, who both made like you were saying the quick jump to the yeah. marathon because they were starting to realise their potential at those longer distances, and that probably subconsciously was in there going, well, if, if they can do it, then yeah, well, why can I not do it? You know, yeah, you know, and I mean, you know, you only have to look at Derek and Callum to see that they're, you know, they've rewritten a lot of their other PBs, having moved up to the marathon. Yeah. Um, Callum more so than, than Derek, but then obviously Derek's had a few injury issues, but, um, but yeah, it's, I, I'm still, I, I remember doing, um, a 1500 meters off the bat after my after my third marathon, um, in between. Berlin and Frankfurt and I think I ran 352 or 353 and I was thinking you know it's not super quick but you know for a guy who is kind of giving up the ghost on on that kind of that kind of you know race format I was actually pretty chuffed you know so I do think there's I do think there's PBs that can still be rewritten you know at the lower end 5k and and 10k Mm -hmm. and whether that's on the track or whether that's going to be on the road you know remains to be seen but um, no, I think that the marathon training just highlights how how much value you can place on low intensity running, and how much that actually pays for for some of the the kind of um, shorter distances. Yeah, and then also another myth of you know the old school way of you didn't want to move up to the marathon, you know, quote unquote, too early. You know, you wanted to maximise your fifteen, you wanted to maximise your five k, yeah. your ten k and then got onto the half marathon and the marathon. Again, we've kind of fed that belief, but, you know, people like the Hawkins brothers have absolutely debunked that. There's a lot of athletes out there that have moved up to the marathon, you know, yeah. call it yeah. yeah, so um, I feel like it's becoming a bit of a, it is a bit of a myth to sort of maximise your potential out of those things because, like you just said there, the marathon training can actually maximise your potential over those yeah. distances by getting that strength and getting that back end endurance. So, yeah. you know, you're you're in the you're in the thicker, you know, your your first marathon for Warsaw. You know, you're finishing ninth, you're running two hours and twenty six minutes for your debut. Um, you know, a major marathon here. I mean in terms of, you know, you're talking about injuries and niggles here and there and then moving to the marathon to try and maybe subside those niggles what was your first marathon build like and then also how did you feel Warsaw went in your in sort of your opinion so so I come off the back of a a track season where I was I was I was running okay I wasn't running brilliantly but I was running reasonably well um and it was I looked at this this program that Mark had set up, and you know he's detailed what the the paces are going to be. So when you're running on the track and you're running 400 meter reps and kilometer reps, and then all of a sudden you see this marathon program getting put down to you, and, and you see what the paces are, and you think that's not that's not that quick. But obviously the volume significantly higher. So um, I think when I first started that that block, I probably went a little bit too hard on on the sessions, you know, and th- thought I could, you know, I, I think I thought I could do better than what 
had been set out in front of me mm-hmm. um, in terms of the pace. And yeah, the first sort of five weeks of that, that 12 week block, you know, went, they went quite well. I raced, um, I raced Dublin half marathon, the rock and roll half marathon. Really windy day, and, and I was hoping to run a PB, and I didn't do that. But I, I won the race quite comfortably, which took really took me by surprise. I didn't expect to win, you know, a big a big race like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, the, the wheels started to come off a bit. I think probably what I found was my limit was maybe half marathon or or twenty miles. Say, mm-hmm. um, I, I started to get a couple. Niggles, hip niggles were coming back again. So a lot of the volume all of a sudden really dropped off um, in the last half of the build, mm-hmm. and I was I was just scraping by. At, on hindsight, when, or after the race had finished, you know, spoke to Mark and you know, he said, "I kind of semi thought about pulling you from doing the race," but I was. We never really had that conversation because you know we, we just wanted to see where it was going to take us in that first one. Mm-hmm. Um, the race itself, I, I'd been kind of nursing a hip injury, but on the day there was absolutely whether it was adrenaline or not, I don't know, but there was absolutely no no pain whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really nice course, really flat. Um, there was very little way of crowds though. There was it was pretty scarce. I think the actual as much as it's not a massive marathon in terms of numbers. I think there was maybe four, four to six thousand people running it, um, and the 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 elites that that were there. I think it was maybe one in around two oh seven to to two oh nine. There was a massive gap, so that that ninth place sounds really good, but the reality is that there was maybe about twelve elites running, mm-hmm. or fifteen. Quite a lot of them had dropped out, and the guys that were ahead of me were eight, nine minutes ahead, you know, at, at worst. Um, so it was quite a barren run. I was running on my own for, for most of it. Um, and the last the last 10K was horrible. Right. Horrible. <laughs> um, the, the cramping my hamstrings, cramping my calves. But I figured that if I stopped, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get going again. So I just had to kind of get myself to the finish line. Um, and it, the, the time was the time was reasonable. You know, it wasn't terrible. But I think if you look, if I was to look back at my splits, it would it would be showing me on a sort of two twenty one, two twenty two pace for for most of that race. And then a lot, I must have lost five minutes in that last six k, seven k. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite a good one to do because it was low key enough that you know it wasn't going to draw too much attention, but. It's a marathon. Doesn't mm-hmm. really matter where it is. It's a marathon. So, I I was able to reflect quite nicely on that. And then the plan was to go and do London um, off the back of it. I, so no, it was it was it was interesting, and I think it, it just showed on reflection what <clears throat> you know what the marathon is, and how you know don't underestimate the training, you know, and and learn as long as you learn from it. That's the main thing, which is what you know, which is what I've done. I think every Bar in Frankfurt disaster, every marathon that I've run, I've managed to run a PB officially. Mm-hmm. So you know, I try and I try and take you know hope from that that everyone's been better than the last. Mm-hmm. So it shows that I, I think that shows that I'm learning every 
every time and take something from it. Yeah. So, and also, which, but one of the things that was really interesting was at one point we were having a conversation and you said how your average mileage throughout that marathon build was around 50 miles or 60 miles a week. Yes, I think... It, if you look at that block, if you look at the whole 12 weeks, the average worked out at like 52. So I think basically, you, on the day of the race, done half your mileage in one day, almost, but still was yeah. able to run 226. So that's a mat, like, I mean, that that's commendable in itself, you know? Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that, that was kind of what it showed. And, you know, every time, every time I've finished a marathon, Mark, Mark will quickly have what the, 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 the peak week, what my peak week was in terms of volume and then what the average has been over the 12, 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the, the average doesn't tell us the full story because obviously there's some weeks where it's higher and some weeks where it's lower. A lot of the, the reason that, that, that my volume has been a bit lower is not necessarily through choice. It's just been that, you know, I've been nursing a little niggle or I'm scared that I'm going to break down, so I don't do as much volume. Mm-hmm. But then the way that our training is set up for each marathon block is that the, the hard sessions are hard and they're really long. Mm-hmm. So there's no real, there's not a long run in the week. It's just, you know, easy running, you know, 80 minutes or 20K, but a reasonable clip as long as your heart rate's in the right area. Mm-hmm. Um, and the actual marathon sessions itself, right from week one are like, 35k you know, so 20 plus miles mm-hmm. um, and you're doing that maybe that, that, that varies in terms of intensity sometimes it's just an easy 20 mile run so it is kind of just like your, your easy Sunday long run um, but at least four or five times you're doing a hard you know a hard 22 23 mile session mm-hmm. um, you know and you, you can't be underestimated but if you get them done and you know, the confidence you gain from that, knowing that you can get around at a reasonable clip on these sessions, just stands you in good stead going forward to to the actual race day itself. Yeah. And then you like you said, you swift you swiftly move on to run another two marathons only five months apart. Which was that was that in the so you you go and run London marathon in April in two hours. 22 minutes in 22 seconds, all the twos. And then twos. You, go, you go to Berlin in September, just five months apart, and you go and run again. Two hours, 22 minutes. But you run, you, you do go quicker again. You run nine, two hours, 22 and nine seconds. Was that, was that the plan? Was, was the, the two marathons in the plan? And then also, how were you able to recover so quick, rebound, within five months and get on to another marathon and run quicker again? <laughs> it, was, it was in the plan. Um, and the, but after, and, and what's interesting is that the Warsaw was on the same days, Warsaw was the same days Berlin typically. Mm-hmm. So in, in 12 months, in a 12 month window, I ran three marathons. Oh wow, yeah. Um, so, I think I was just eager to kind of get go to Berlin. You know, I'd missed out on it. I did Warsaw instead of Berlin because I couldn't get into Berlin. Um, and the the training for London was 
was tough because it was through the winter. And mm-hmm. I kind of figured that, you know, an, a, a late summer, early autumn marathon might be a bit easier. So we, I just decided, you know, we'll go ahead and we'll do Berlin as well. Um, the recovery between London and Berlin was was interesting. It was catching up. It was catching up. You know that that Warsaw build and then into the London build, because there wasn't too much between those two. I think it was seven six months between those two. Um, so I was relatively fresh for London, but I was starting to kind of feel it in the Berlin build and the the training went okay for Berlin, but I felt like it hadn't gone as well as as I. I had it in my head I was going to go. Um, but I think just having two marathons behind me so quickly managed to see me through for Berlin more than the Berlin block itself. Um, and come come race day, I, I was kind of going through the motions a little bit. I was, you know, I was working hard, but I was a little bit disappointed because I was really hoping to use Berlin as, my, as, a, as a way to go under two, two hours 20. Um, and I knew well, I knew that two hours twenty just wasn't on from the training, so we kind of set it up that it was we're going to just try and run you know as close to to London time as possible, if not a bit quicker. And I thought it was off. I, I thought there was no chance that there was a PB on. I'd, I'd messed up. I'd messed up my kind of calculations. But come the forty k mark, I, I look at the clock and looked at my watch and I thought, wait a minute, if I, if I run you know whatever it was. Know, however many, whatever pace it was for the next two kilometers, I was like, I can actually just run my PB. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it kind of came back to me, and I was able to kind of sneak a 13 second PB um, mm-hmm. at Berlin. But um, that the Berlin race was an interesting one because, again, I just found myself on my own. Uh, you know, there was a, a group, the, the elite, elite female group had just went off and then that that kind of disbanded and I was kind of catching them towards the end um but yeah I was running a lot of that on my own they kind of they complained a little bit the, the winners complained about that day about the weather mm-hmm. I, I genuinely can't remember it being bad weather I, you know it was a bit wet but I think I was just so switched off because I was I wasn't going to run as quick as I really wanted to mm-hmm. um you know, I wasn't going to do that marathon justice. You know, Berlin's renowned for being the quickest, one of the quickest marathon courses in the world, and I wasn't quite going to do it as much justice as I would have liked to. But, um, but no, it was still it was still pretty good, and I think that what that did was it just it just nailed on the the fact that you don't need to get a good block in to still run relatively quick as long as there's a bit of training in there, um, and as long as you've learned from previous marathon races mm-hmm. yeah. nice um, and then you um, you don't do London in 2018 you then decide to do Frankfurt and I'm guessing you know with the uh, this was maybe you learned from doing the marathons in such quick succession one after the other um, taking a wee break and you know working on building a, a better base and getting recovered up to Frankfurt. You know, I know that you, so on your Power of 10, you have an official two hours, 17 minutes and 44 seconds with a, yeah. you know, with a little mishap along the way. 
But basically, yeah. I think here because this was this is your this is your fastest time, whether you know the Power of Ten or your Garmin or Frankfurt, you know whatever your physiology was roughly around about two seventeen to two eighteen shape. You know, so this yep. is where you're 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 in peak shape. I, I hope. Yep. I, I guess this is where a lot of people are going to be asking, like you know, what was your mileage here? You know, what was your Monday through Sunday? How were you yep. able to balance being, you know, you're, you're working uh, with the NHS as a physiotherapist full time, but also yep. still preparing for the Frankfurt Marathon and getting into that great shape? You know, tell us, you know, you can tell us how your prep went, tell us how that day went, and then, you know, tell us how you can balance that being a, a full time worker as well as trying to smash a marathon. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, work, working full-time, it, it seems to work for me. It gives, it gives me a routine. I, and when I was living in Glasgow, I was working in the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital as a, a musculoskeletal physio. And it was a 10-minute cycle from the flat to the hospital, 10-minute mm-hmm. cycle home. So, you know, starting at half past eight and finishing at half past four, you know, you're busy in work, you're, you know, you're thinking about a lot of things, you've got patients to see, you've got paperwork to do, admin, you've got managers on your case to certain other things. Um, so yeah, when you're in work, you're, you're kind of minds away from the marathon, but, or from training. Mm-hmm. As soon as you leave that door, you know, it's just like, right, what do I need to get done now? What, what's, what's on the cards for today? Mm-hmm. What do I need to get done? Uh, the good thing about obviously doing a, an autumn marathon is that you've got so much daylight on that side of of the day, you know, after you finish work, that getting outdoors is not too difficult from a from a daylight point of view. Mm-hmm. Living in up in Annie's land, having the canal right right on your doorstep is you know brilliant for just going for your runs or doing sessions. So I would um. My, my week would, would typically be if you look at if you look through Monday to Sunday, it would be two two session days, and I would typically typically go Wednesday Saturday for the session days, and every other day is is just an easy run. That would be roughly we we would say eighty minutes or twenty kilometers, whatever comes first. So I would just get out and I would run. I run quite hard on on my easy days, mm-hmm. although hard is you know that that hard is relative. I'm still able to recover in that with that time, and I think because I was getting fitter, that you know my average heart rate for some of these runs was kind of one forty five, but I'm running six minute mile or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would just get onto the canal. So my goal was run out for either forty minutes or to 10k whichever one comes first and then run back mm-hmm. I, so that was my routine so I knew so the canal you, you know yourself have been running on it you get to know all the little checkpoints so you kind of you know roughly what your pace is even if the watch isn't beeping at you or whatever so you, you're running along and you just you get you just get that familiarity and I think you know the biggest the biggest thing for me is is having routine and consistency mm-hmm. it's just then about applying that discipline to do it on that 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 regular basis mm-hmm. and I think that's where you know working full-time for me you know that that really lends itself to training you know obviously if you're if your work is 
not as structured as that, then it makes it a bit difficult. So if you're having to work later, later evenings or start a bit earlier, that, that kind of throws the routine. But for me, the, the, the Monday to Friday 95 gig worked quite well. Mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I could leave most things, you know, from work at the door when I left. So, you know, I wasn't really thinking about work when I was coming home. I, so, so, yeah, I kind of managed to balance it relatively easily. And one was one was good for the other. So running was good to de-stress from work. And work was good to distract you from what was about to come later on that day or, you know, for that week. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was quite nice. But the, the thing with Frankfurt was that I was able to... I was I would, I would tell some of my patients what my my true target was. Okay. So I told that you know, most most people I kind of said like you know uh, I would I wanted to run under two hours twenty, and but I told a couple of patients who who kind of garnered a little bit of an interest in in my running. They would be asking me what what event was coming up, and I was you know tell them I'm I'm running Frankfurt Marathon. What what time would you like to get you know and Half the time, you know yourself, when you say to someone who maybe isn't as aware of the sport, you say a time and all of a sudden they're like, is that not, is that not really quick? So I, I would kind of put my my actual target time. I would say it out, I think saying it out loud is actually quite a, quite a good thing because it kind of puts the pressure on a little bit. So I would tell, I maybe told two or three of my patients, you know, I want to run under two hours 18. That's really quick. So all of a sudden, there was a bit of a, a bit of pressure, and a bit of an expectation. They would be like, "Oh, we're looking out for your result." Um, so then, when you finish work, if you don't go out and do the training, then you're not you're not going to hit that time. You're not going to you know you're not going to achieve that that target that you've set yourself. And not only have you you've set that target, you've then laid it out to someone else. So then, you don't want to kind of let their expectation of you down, especially. Yeah. People within that type of type of environment. Um, so yeah, I kind of used that as a bit of a strategy almost to kind of put a bit of pressure on. So you know, there are some days where you get home from work and you're a bit tired, and you know, you sit down on the couch, get a cup of coffee, and then you're like, I don't want to go out. But then the reality hits, and you go, Well, if I don't go out, I'm not going to perform. So you know, what's it going to be? Session days I find easy. Session days I can get out the door really easily. The, the days that I find a bit more challenging is just your your easy running days. You know, you just got to go and get it done, and um, once you're out of the door, it's fine. But sometimes the thought is is just that little bit harder, and that's where having that routine and, and discipline comes in. So, mm. so yeah. Yeah, and then you know you were um, was this was Frankfurt where on average was your highest mileage? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, if you look. When I looked at London and Berlin, my average weekly mileage was 61, 62 miles a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for Frankfurt, it was, I think it was 72. Yeah. There was a couple of weeks there. There was a couple of weeks, you know, that are up at 100. But there was also, there was also two, two weeks in that build where there was a race, mm-hmm. 10K in Stirling and Glasgow Half. Yeah. So the volume maybe back off a little bit on those two weeks. So that kind of brings the average down, mm-hmm. and then the volume really in the last two weeks where you're tapering comes down quite a bit. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. but the, the the volume up until up until the kind of the taper weeks was probably sitting around about sort of seventy six, seventy seven mm-hmm. miles. There was a couple of weeks in there, you know, ninety plus, tipping up to hundred in some weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the, the most the most important part of that was the let's say is the, is the actual training sessions itself and how that week's made up it's you know the volume's only one part of the picture you know so I know that I can run relatively well over the marathon with not so high a volume but then that that volume's at this you know a sacrifice volume for quality mm-hmm. so and I think that's where it kind of pays what I'd like to experiment with going forward is you know, getting a bit more volume and those hard days just backing off a little bit and seeing if that has any impact. Yeah, because also you, you do all your runs as single running as well. You don't go out and double. Yeah, I mean, that, that was something that I'd picked up from a Liam Adams out in Australia. He was kind of detailed a lot of his running. I mean, I, he kind of spoke about just doing single runs and... I quite like that. It kind of worked well. I've, I've dabbled with double runs in the past, and I and I like it. Um, but I think I think once you get to a certain volume, then double runs are going to become a necessity. You know, once you get to a hundred, it's really hard to get single single days in. Um, to to kind of keep over that hundred, you can do it, but the sessions have to be really big. Um, but I've found that it's worked well for me so far in the marathons, but. Obviously, the expectation is you want to get better, so it's, it's looking at that's where now you're playing about with some things. You know, obviously, you can't quite go out and double run just now, but you know, what about running lower intensity but a bit further? Does that have an impact on, on your fitness and you know, sacrificing that little bit of quality just to get more volume? And is that how does that play out? And that, that's, that's something that I want to look at going, going forward just to see you know, where that takes us. Yeah, and then uh, probably a lot of people will be, you know, wanting to know about what sort of, what would be a typical marathon session for you to prep you for, you know, the, the 26.2 mile distance, what, what sort of stuff would you do on a Wednesday and a Saturday? So Wednesday, Wednesday tends to be a little bit shorter in terms of volume, but the intensity is maybe up a little bit, so it can vary so that there's times where it's maybe just a top up threshold so it might be a, a 10 mile um kind of threshold tempo run so it would maybe be 10k marathon pace and then a 6 6k lift so for example you know i might run 10k at 320 a kilometer if we're saying that's marathon pace and then the the lift the 6k has to be you know 305 to to three tens a kilometer, mm-hmm. so the the overall pace is is slightly quicker than marathon pace, uh, but not obviously as 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 voluminous, or it or it might be something like you know three times two k, three times one k, three times four hundred. Uh, there's sessions where it's been six times a mile, um, with a minute and a half recovery, but looking to go at sort of ten k to half marathon pace. Uh, so it does it varies, or or it might even be something like a wave, a wave run. So it might be one k, one k, two k, one k, but no more than sort of twenty k volume. Mm-hmm. So that would be your your Wednesday session typically. I uh, then the, the Saturday session could could be 
a, a mixture of marathon pace running and threshold running. So one of the sessions that we we had set out to do when we were in Portugal was a twelve k twelve k easy. I put that in quotation marks, but you know, easy is not easy. It's it's still you're maybe talking about thirty seconds slower than marathon pace per kilometer. So you're still running quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then moving on to marathon pace, it would be 12k easy pace, 12k marathon pace with maybe a, a 2k threshold lift, then 6k marathon pace, 2k threshold, 3k easy to finish off. Um, that 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 kind of format can change that or that that formula can change a little bit. You know, you can make it 10k, 10k, then an 8k lift or whatever it may be. Um, one of the one of the kind of tougher sessions was a it was a step down. So it was 8k, 6k, 5k, 3k, 2k. But that was at threshold pace, and the the recovery would be six, five, four, three, two um, minutes. Yeah. Yeah, minutes in between the the reps. That that's a that's a tough session. I, I've I've had that in three the last four marathon blocks that that session's been put in there mm-hmm. and I, i've said to mark twice that i reckon it's maybe just a little bit too too hard mm-hmm. um i've only managed to do it once where i, I hit it really well but it, it took me about a week to to recover from it before i could hit you know the next decent session so i think that one can pay off really well if you get it done, but you need to pick when you're going to do it, um, and then just you know let your body recover uh, as you feel you need it. And let's say over a over a 13 week period, uh, you know, a, one session isn't going to make or break you, but you know it's the, it's looking at the whole the whole kind of puzzle. Um, and as long as you hit a couple of the key sessions within a certain range, I reckon you'll you'll do fine. Yeah. So, I guess you know the the listeners will be also wanting to know about the nutrition strategies as well. Like, what was your nutrition during training? What was your nutrition strategies to recover from training? What was your nutrition strategy uh, strategies when you went into the race? Also, what was like sort of how would you fuel for it? Um, you know, was it gels? Was it um, carbohydrate drinks? Um, during training and then during the, the races, what how did you fuel your body? Yeah, so I, I kind of dabble with a couple of different things, but ultimately I try and keep it really simple because when I go training, I've not got the luxury of having you know someone on a bike passing me things or you know setting up a station or a lap where I can leave things down. So. Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> So I've, I've tried it a few times round Danny's land and I've come back round and bottles have been nicked or whatever. So, <laughs> so when I when I first started the marathon, I, I'd spoken to Derek about what the what their what their strategy was, and you know they talked about just using energy gel. So I, I use um, science and sport. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll have so during a during a, a long session or the marathon itself, um, the strategy that 
that have kind of adapted or adopted is a a gel on after about twenty minutes, five k to twenty minutes um, into the into the race, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just an electrolyte gel. And then around about an hour or or halfway, depending on how I'm feeling, um, I'll take on a second energy gel, but with caffeine in it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have a third gel around about the thirty k mark. Again, I don't always take that, but if I, if I feel I need it. And and that's really it. Obviously, the the gels that you take on are going to are, are the number of gels that you take on are going to be relative to how long you're going to be out. You know, you're going to be out for the longer you're out, the more the more fuel you're going to need. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've found that I've managed that that balance is just about right. And then what I'll do is I, I just take on water um, around the course mm-hmm. when, when I feel like I need it. Um, that that seems to have worked well. But that's only because that's that's what I practiced in training. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's there's tons of different companies out there that that you know have got really good sports drink electrolytes that you know are carbohydrate drinks that that might be that might give you that little half percent during the race or pre race or, or or whatever. It's not something that I've practiced, mm-hmm. and and that's more just out of you know, it, it's difficult to do that when you're training on your own. <clears throat> so, I think there's something in there's there's definitely something in it. You know, but for me, it's about what can I easily practice, you know, within training, and how can I replicate that in a in a race. I don't want to be taking on something that I'm not, you know, I'm not used to come race day. I think it's about trying to keep things, you know. Pretty much, you know, as you as you have them in, in training or in your blocks. Mm-hmm. And in terms of nutrition, again, I, I try and keep it quite simple. I, I don't try and complicate it too much. I, I cook every night, so I cook fresh fresh dinners every night. Um, I try and eat healthy when I can. I will have, you know, the odd bit of chocolate. I'll have a bit of fizzy juice. I try and limit that though, where I can. I don't, I don't think it it doesn't give you anything, but Almost just as a little, as a little treat. We sacrifice so much as athletes, you know, from social things to food types that, you know, I think we're allowed to let ourselves, you know, be given these little, you know, treats, as it were. Um, you know, you look at when we were out in Portugal, you only have to look at Kenny Wilson and him munching on his bars of milk and drinking his seven up um <laughs> still going out and smashing out the runs um right. so i think i think a lot of the i think as long as your main meals are, are, are you know nutritious and you're not getting you know microwave meals and you know all that sort of stuff um you, you're you'll be absolutely fine and as long as you don't overindulge in the things that you know aren't beneficial then that's fine i, I, I try not to stress too much about it um i used to get quite worked up about what my breakfast was going to be on the, the day of a race and yeah. you know, if you're if you're someone that goes away and races abroad or even if it's just locally and you stay in a hotel the night before a race and you wake up and they've not got your exact you know breakfast that you normally have you start stressing so I think that the more you limit the, the stressors and the things that you can't control then then fine I think that that, that pays well um Especially for the marathon, you know, the night before races or two nights before races, and you're 
running around trying to find a, a restaurant that just does a simple pasta dish or whatever. Do you know, you, you get a bit worked up about it, and but that's not that's not going to help come come race day getting stressed about you know relatively trivial things. Yeah. Um. So yeah, try and keep it simple. And um, what is your sort of what what is your go to breakfast? You know, what's it? What sort of is your high your high fueling? Uh, which, what sort of stuff do you have before a big session or before a before a marathon race? So no, normally, I would go porridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you can really well for me personally. I just don't think you can get you know cheap past porridge oats. It's pretty filling, um, and it's relatively accessible across the board. And even if it's not, you can take the little porridge pots that you just pour some hot water into. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's an easy one to to kind of get get hold of. Um, so I would tend to have porridge, a coffee, and then some toast with jam. Mm-hmm. I and I try and have that, you know, quite early on. Um, I try and have it about three and a half to four hours before, right. and then about two hours before the race, I'll maybe have a banana, mm-hmm. and or an hour before the race, I'll maybe have a banana just to top things up. Um, before the race, in terms of sessions, you know, it would a bowl of porridge or you know, toast and banana with some honey or whatever would be a kind of go-to breakfast. Yeah. Um, session. Ah, good, good. So um, uh, you know, we're moving on to 2019, and you you get back to London, and you're, you know, you again you're. Going through a lot of changes at this point, you know, you're going through, you're moving house, you're moving job, um, you know, you're, you're a bit all over the place, but you still managed to whack out a 220 marathon. Um, you know, that I feel that's, with everything that's going on, how you were able to keep your cool and still be able to, you know, hold, to, hold your own and run a 220 marathon. I think you finished, did you finish fifth in the championship as well? At that race, fifth championship. Yeah. yeah. So I was fifth, fifth in the championship, and I had to look at this the other day. Actually, it was someone had someone that one of my cousins had asked me where I'd finished overall in London last year. Um, I had to work out because they they keep the elites and the championship, the rest of the field separate in the results. So yeah. I, I worked out so I finished thirty-eighth overall and fifth, fifth in the championship. Yeah. Um, so yeah. No, it was. I think that may have, that was that was a higher place than my previous London. I think. Yeah. The same. And yeah. again, you know, you when we were talk, talking about London last year to you know previous years in the marathon, you you spoke about how important pacing yourself to halfway is to then execute uh-huh. the second half. Um, yeah. You know, talk to talk to us about you know how how London went. And in 2019, in terms of, I mean, you got 220, which is amazing, but maybe could that have been faster through better planning through halfway? You know, tell us your thoughts on that to help the listeners with their, their first marathon if they're looking to, you know, pace better the, the halfway mark. Yeah, there's there's obviously there's a lot of chat about where you know how to strategize on on you know do you do a negative split and and all that sort of stuff, but obviously that that negative split has to be relative to what your goal is. Um, when when I did when I did London last year, it was obviously off the back of Frankfurt, where the result wasn't quite what it seemed, and 
um, I was still a little bit angry about it. And the training for London last year went okay. It hadn't gone just as well as Frankfurt, but you know, in my head, I knew that I was capable of you know running under two hours twenty. And that, that was the goal at London, was to run under two hours 20. I didn't think I was going to run just as well as I did at Frankfurt, but you know, I was I was towing the line, and the plan was under two hours 20. Um, and it, it because I've had two marathons where I've ran solo for so long, mm-hmm. I made my mind up that if there, was a, if there was going to be a group, I was going with it. Um, you know, within reason and I found myself in a, in a pretty big group um, early doors in London and the pace wasn't it wasn't crazy it was maybe a little bit ahead of what I was expecting but I, I thought it was going to slow at some point and it, it didn't it, did, it didn't really slow it stayed about the same pace for for at least 25k mm-hmm. um, so I was actually I ended up I was quicker going through halfway <laughs> At London than what I was compared to Frankfurt by about fifty seconds. So, so I knew I was on for a quick time. Um but I'm gonna I'm gonna blame Nike for that. I was wearing the next percent for the first time. Um <laughs> so so things felt things felt okay, but but a marathon's a marathon, it's not a half marathon, it's not twenty it's not twenty five K, it's not thirty K, it's you know it's it's twenty six point two miles, forty two point two k, and yeah, I probably just bitten off more than I could chew. But I, I decided that I was going to try and just race it a little bit more. Um, so there was a group that eventually whittled down, and it was me, Paul Martelletti, and Gary O'Hanlon, and and we were running alongside each other. And you know, those are two seriously good marathon runners, and. I think we were on for about we were on for a sub two seventeen for for a long way and, and coming back in the second half, but it must have been about thirty two, thirty five K I started to wobble. And there's a part in London where you kinda of come up a ramp. Mm-hmm. Um I can't remember what, what distance it's at, but you come up a ramp and as soon as I got to the top of that the 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 gap from those two guys just that that elastic band just snapped and I wasn't able to kind of hold on. I tried and I was then fighting a bit of a stitch. So obviously the legs had start. The legs were feeling okay, but the actual the, the aerobic system was starting to to really suffer. And I stopped twice um, on the way on the run in just before embankment um, and lost a little bit of time. And and, I, and looking back, it's it's really frustrating because I think. If I'd have just been a minute slower through halfway, you know, I, I might have ran under two hours twenty and had an official sub two twenty on my belt, but you stopped twice and still ran two twenty. When I say stopped, I mean I literally I stopped for about three seconds. Uh-huh. It wasn't because I, I, I said to myself, if I stop here, I, I won't get going again. But I had a stitch. And I, I was slowing down so much that I thought if I don't stop and try and stretch it or something it's not it's i'm going to have to just stop anyway so i figured i would try and control it so i i said to myself stop but it's literally stop stretch and go and so i must have stopped for about it couldn't have been any more than two or three seconds mm-hmm. um and then i stopped again 
that was me for a little bit longer, but I was I was struggling at that point. And then I kind of got a bit of a second wind and finished it off. But the the, the split the, the kilometer splits in the last six k were just <laughs> they were just tumbling down. Um, and it's not a nice way to finish a marathon. I think if if you do all that hard work over those three four months, you don't want it to boil down to making you know a, a mistake from your pacing in the first twenty k. Mm-hmm. So my advice would be that you know you're better you're better to be five percent you know undercooked in that first half than be one percent overcooked because it, it can really come back to bite you and you know all that hard work that you've put in seems like it's for nothing yeah um and you don't have as much to show for it but um I I would say yeah if you can just hold it back a little bit um. At least in your first one, so that you can get an experience. I think once you've done four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten marathons, start playing about with whether you want to do a negative split or, you know, you know all these kind of things. But I think your first one, you just want to make sure that you do it, you do it justice, and you do it effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you were saying about, you know, how you 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 still felt good at like you you did feel good at halfway. Um, your, perceived, your perceived exertion, you're saying you felt better at halfway through London than you did through halfway at Frankfurt, if I'm, if I'm right. I, I wouldn't say I felt better at London, because um, I, felt, I felt really good at Frankfurt, um, yeah. especially through halfway, and, and I was quicker through halfway than what I planned to be at Frankfurt. But um, I think when I went through halfway at London it, it didn't feel it didn't feel as bad as what the, the time would suggest you know that for the time that I ran I, I would have thought I would have felt a bit worse um and I didn't I felt you know I felt quite good yeah but that that, that quickly changed after the next 10k you know and whereas at Frankfurt I felt like my race was just starting at halfway whereas mm-hmm. at London it felt like my race was starting to come apart at, you know, 25 to 30k, you know. And yeah. So that, that was the difference. Um, but I think having had the, the marathons in my legs before, I, I knew how to kind of survive it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I was just, it was interesting just because what we were talking about, you know, the the, the change in trainers where you'd be, you were wearing a different trainer in uh, mm-hmm. Frankfurt to London where, you know, the, we're talking about the the vapor fly giving you this four percent or four point something percent advantage, um, and there's two there's two there's two key elements here where one you run faster in Frankfurt off the shoes, and two but you felt you went through halfway at London being not as good of a build, but you went through fifty seconds quicker at the half than you did at Frankfurt. But the difference yep. was you were wearing those those shoes, like, and this is where we we can kind of like link in this where everybody I think has got these these deep. Some people get negative feelings towards these trainers, and there, there's there's two ways you can look at it. The way is you know you do feel that you're maybe moving better, but my biggest point with this is a running shoe cannot influence your mitochondria that whatever's in your body is mm. 
this shoe may help with half a percent or a percent in terms of your biomechanics and your running economy, but you've you know you've went through that and you're gonna you're gonna pay the price for it, whether you're in a an amazing running shoe or not, and you're running faster yeah. or not, you're gonna pay the price. This shoe doesn't propel you onto great heights if you make a mistake or if your training wasn't yeah. there to yeah. back up the the time that you went through. So um just it's just a, a little one for the somebody um text asking about, you know, your my my perception on the the Nike Vaporfly, but then also so my perception is that it, you know it may help, but it's not gonna it's not like when somebody when we we uh, we watched the YouTube documentary on you know it being mechanical doping and why don't we just dope and it's like no it doesn't alter your physiology it just alters yeah. your gait to then hopefully you know help you be a bit more efficient to then run faster but you still have to do that training to back it up so but I mean what's your your experience in terms of the, the shoe what, what's what, what's your um, your thoughts on it I think there's there's definitely some. There's definitely something in them in terms of you know they, they definitely you know they definitely help. I don't know. I don't know how much of it is placebo. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be a massive because I'd say the difference between Frankfurt and London was my approach. I think in Frankfurt I was in really good shape, but I, but I, I kept it controlled. You know, I, I think I was almost holding back a little bit in Frankfurt and. You know, when I got to halfway at Frankfurt, you know, it felt fine. Didn't, I didn't feel stressed, and I was, I was able to to get quicker. You know, after a, a windy section in Frankfurt on the way on the way back in, so I managed to maintain the pace. You know, and, and pick it up a little bit towards the end. Whereas in London, I don't know whether subconsciously that you know, even though I knew I was going quicker, I was kind of just saying, "Oh, it's the shoes," right. even though. Do you know, like, I might have just been using that as a a way to kind of, you know, make my excuse to Mark when he shouted at me for going too quick. It's like, oh, I was I was wearing the shoes though. Do you know? I don't know. <laughs> um, so no, I think I think they play a role, but I think it's more of a it, it helps the your mindset and there's 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 obviously something there that allows you to run a bit more efficiently or it reduces the, the amount of energy that you're that you're using but like you say if you if you go and run harder than what you're physically able to the shoes aren't going to bail you out you know they're not they're not going to save you and and that's what i, I mean i wore london was my worst marathon last year in terms of how i felt in terms of physiology wise yeah um you know i had stitches you know i had to stop um that's the first time I've had to stop in a marathon. So, because of because I was starting to struggle, that that's not the shoes' fault. But equally, it's you know. So, I, yeah, I think the shoes definitely help, but there's it's the training that you put in. Yeah. The trainers are the, the, the trainers are just a, another tool that might make things more comfortable and and give you that little bit of belief that you know you can push it a little bit harder at certain points, but yeah, they're not gonna. They don't. They don't take away from all the hard training that you do. You yeah. you do the hard training. It's not the trainer, you know. Like yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so then that, that leads us on to you know now we are 
we're looking at London, you know, at the, you know, it's now, it's the 28th of April, we're looking at London on the 26th there, where they've ran London again in 2020, yep. but, you know, it's, you know, crazy times where full of uncertainty and, you know, it's been postponed now to the 4th of October, Berlin's been cancelled, looking likely that, you know, because of social distancing, staying two metres apart, it is sensible to um, cancel or, you know, delay these races even further into later 2020 or even now going to be in 2021. Where's your, where's your head at with the marathon being on October the 4th, London being the 4th, and if it does go ahead, do you feel that you're going to participate there or are you going to hold off and maybe look towards a race in December like Valencia? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I, I think first and foremost, the, you know, the most important thing just now is that we kind of get on top of the actual you know pandemic itself. You know, well, whatever way you can do that, if that's by socially distancing or, or whatever else. You know, I think what what I'm hoping that comes out of all this is that people realise how important you know physical fitness and health is you know because you take for granted that you can go out your door um and you know go to work and all this other stuff um so when you're trapped inside and you're you're one you're one kind of perk of the day is to go out and exercise or you know you do your class in indoors um i think it, it it's kind of showed you what what exercise actually gives you it's not just about that physical purpose and having a goal to, to attain it's actually good for your your general well-being and mental health so yeah. that's the first thing um in terms of competition again it, i think we just have to be really sensible about it and, and almost just kind of put aside personal goals and and just you know what's going to be best for society you know as a whole rather than you know looking at the individual would that, obviously, I would love it if we could just lift the whole thing and we can all get back to to normal really quickly. But I think I think you're right. I think it's 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 going to be hard to see how we can get you know any mass gathering or mass participation events going this this year. Um, the way things are looking. Um, for myself, the goal just now is just to, to continue training and playing about with a few things, listen to what the government are saying and then assume that London is going to go ahead on the 4th of October um, and I might try and get an entry for Valencia just as a as a backup or as, a, or as an addition. You know, by the time the end of the year comes, you might want to be doing a marathon every weekend just to get racing, you know. <laughs> but, it might just be another way to kind of, um, you know, try something different. You know, can you do two marathons in two months, but sacrifice one as a training session or, you know, whatever it might be? Because mm-hmm. um, there's other thoughts about whether it could go ahead, but it might just be open to elites and championship runners only or whatever. Who knows? You know, I think, like I say, the most important thing just now is that... Um, we do everybody individually. We do what we can to help the whole country um, get by. So, um, whatever that whatever that is, you know, whether you're a you know frontline worker or 
whether that's just keeping up with social distancing rules, but that's what you do. Um, and let's see, obviously using, you know, running as a as a tool to cope with everything, you know, physically and and mentally. Do you know that that's that's the big thing. Yeah, because this is like I mean, I mean, I, I didn't think about this until uh, you were you're chatting away there. Is that you know we've got people, we've got we've got swimmers, we've got bodybuilders, powerlifters, you know, football players, um, badminton, hockey, you know, basketball. You know, some some people need to or uh, track cyclists. Like some people need to actually go to a specific location. Yep. Whereas as a, you're just blessed that the fact that you can get out your door, put shoes on and go left or right and, you know, get something done. Um, you know, the, and again, that's where we're talking about like the, the impact that it's probably going to be having on people's mental health is going to be quite, quite shocking. Um, but then hopefully they do find like going walking, going running, or a podcast or an audio book or some music will help their you know, boost their, you know, their mental well-being and stuff. So, no, you're absolutely right. We need to, first and foremost, is listen to the government, keep the, keep the social distancing going, and if we need to sacrifice those events, then so be it for the, the health of, you know, our society and, you know, what we're doing. Because, you know, if we, we kind of can touch upon the fact that there's, there's a, there's, a country out there that's been quite less compliant with everything that's going on, which is going to also further this pandemic going on because it's, it's, it's spreading through travel. And if you know that, that doesn't get halted, then what happens later down the line where, you know, these, these Americans are going to be keeping the spread going for longer because they're, you're not complying with the rules and they want to go back to work. So this is also going to prolong the spread. And this is what I was thinking about races being sanctioned only for citizens, like national citizens of the country. I don't know how you police that, but, you know, like again, Berlin, German citizens only, or people who are living in Germany for the past, you know, two, three years showing a council tax bill or something along those lines. And have not left the country in a certain amount of time. London being, national you know citizens again like british citizens only in terms of yep. and again does that then help national level competition does that help yeah. boost because if you can't go anywhere then the best in britain need to go ahead to head with the other guys in britain same with germany spain italy it'd be a really good thing uh, for like basically homegrown sport but again that's just me rolling out a few ideas but sorry I was uh, I was shitting on America there but they, need, they do need to get their shit together or this thing is going to keep spraying across the world sadly um, don't uh, drink or inject disinfectant that's what it is so as we round up I do a few questions at the end just uh, you know you, you answer as quick as you can um, the, the question so question time all right you ready yep so favorite food well i'd have to go past that yeah favorite running shoe uh, 
I'm going to say, I'll say my, my Gerald Cairo's there, my, they're kind of good old shoe, trusted trusted shoe. Yeah, no controversy behind them? No, definitely not. Favourite place you've ever run? I don't think, I don't think I can see past um, the Greenock Cup, hometown, if you, the Greenock Cup. You've been to Australia? Yep, I'm telling you, if you if you get a chance once the lockdown's over, people, get yourself down to the Greenock Cut. 7.1 miles of lovely trail, brown. <laughs> Unbeatable views, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, Favourite music to listen to when running? I don't, I don't really listen to music when I run. Just no? my own thoughts. No. Yeah, no music for me. New music, right? Favourite movie? Yes, Shawshank Redemption. Right. Split shorts or half takes? Split shorts. Favourite origin of coffee? Oh, it's got to be Columbia. Columbia. Favourite athlete? Can be any. Football. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Favorite athlete, I would probably say, from an athletic point of view, toss up between Callum and Laura Muir. Callum Hawkins, from marathon perspective, and Laura Muir, just because she's dogged as anything. Uh, I like that. Good, good. Keeping it national as well. I like that. Favorite yeah. book? Oh, talking about books recently, actually. Um, a bit of a book club going with a couple of pals. I. Run with the Buffaloes is a brilliant book. Right. Yeah. Yep. I like that. That's, that's got to be one of my favourites. And then favourite TV series? Oh. We'll go Parks and Recreation. What's that? It's comedy. All oh, right, okay. Your comedy is graphic. Who's that guy that you kept putting on in Portugal? Oh, that's really good. That's called First We Feast, Hot Ones. No, no, get it, get it, get the, the Scottish guy. No, the Scottish guy. Oh, Lemmy. He is dreadful. He is absolutely no. dreadful. He's genius. That is, like, he's a stereo, he, he's, he's putting a bad name for Scots that we're all stereotype junkies and we all stay up <laughs> the night shooting up heroin and drinking iron brew and smoking a joint. I know, he's, 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 a, he's a genius. Where's the Scotland genius? Anyway, Craig, that is our podcast over. Thank you very much for coming on board and giving us your insights into the marathon, your your journey in, your, in the sport, everything that you've achieved. Hopefully some of the listeners can take some really good stuff away there for their, their first marathon or even their, their fifth marathon. They learn something. Yeah, yeah. Cool. No, listen, thanks very much for having us on. And uh, stay safe, Sean Fontana. Of course. Thank you very much. And well done on all your social media stuff. I'm getting lots of good reviews from people. Oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah. Right. Aye. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, I'll, I'll speak to you soon. Cool. Right. Cheers, Sean.